You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. We have been talking about hate. We started this series uh, three Sundays ago, or two Sundays ago, and it's a three-part series, so we're concluding today this uh, message or this conversation, this talk on hate. And we have been talking about how bad hate can be, how bad hate can affect us, how bad hate can uh, uh, influence our world and, and change things and situations. And the first week, if you weren't here, I'll, keep, I'll, I'll catch you up real quickly. The first week, we talked about hate and the nature of hate and how hate is a capacity. And last week, we talked about hate under the influence of the flesh, as a work of the flesh, and now how hate as a work of the flesh can be very damaging and very destructive. And so I encouraged you last week to set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Because when you set your minds on the things of the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul said, we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the flesh typically grab a hold of our capacities, and goes for everything that is against God's will. And God's will is for our good. So we actually end up going against ourselves when that happens. And, uh, but as I said at the beginning, as I said at the beginning of this series, this is not a comprehensive study on hate. This, there's a lot more to be said. But uh, these are two very important elements that we need to understand. The first, that hate is a capacity that needs to be nurtured to grow. It needs to be cultivated to grow in you, which means this. People can sneeze hate on you. They can't just make you catch hate like a virus. And I realize that that puts the responsibility on you, but that's, that's the reality. You know, we, we can't just catch hate. It needs to be cultivated, and, and that's important to know. The second thing, it's important to know that hate under the influence of the flesh is harmful. It's destructive. It hurts people, and ultimately it hurts you and that's not good so I said this last week and I want to repeat it today hate is destructive when it causes you to hurt yourself or someone else I'll say it again hate is destructive when it causes you to hurt yourself or someone else and uh, we spent these two weeks talking about how bad hate is and we all have seen it actually we if you're a parent in the room you probably steer your kids away from it. And for us, like for me personally, this is a very strong word. I, I find even the word hate to be very strong. And we don't use it lightly in our family. Or we don't use it liberally. In fact, I think part of it is because of the way I was raised. I never heard my parents or my siblings say that they hated someone. Never heard it. And I grew up in an environment where you didn't apply this capacity, this feeling toward people. And uh, it, the same is true for our household. You know, in my house, in our household, we don't use this word against people. It's just not allowed. And uh, so we, we try to raise our kids with that awareness that, that hate is a very, very strong capacity or feeling. In fact, the other day, uh, another Maya story for you. Maya was in her room, and uh, she was playing with the toy. She was doing something. I think she was trying to get a dress or, or something, dress a doll or something. And I heard her getting frustrated because she, she wasn't able to do it. Like, she was trying to make something happen. It wasn't happening. And, and when Maya gets frustrated, she makes noises. She makes sounds. So I could hear. I wasn't in the same room, but I could hear from another room. I could hear her go, ah, ah. 
It's like if you, if you do it louder, it's going to work, you know. <laughs> because, finally, she blurted out. She was like, oh, it's not working. I hate this. And it caught me by surprise. I'm like, this is my sweet six-year-old daughter saying that she hates something. <laughs> so I went in the room, and I was like, love, listen, hate is a very, very strong word. And I don't know if you've heard daddy or mommy say, I don't, I don't think you have. But we don't use it liberally like that. We don't use it freely. Hate means something very, very strong, a very strong feeling. She's like, really, daddy? Yeah, she just eats it up when you teach him, teach her something. So I said, yeah, we, we don't use it freely like that, and we never, never use it against people. Now, I say that because I understand that hate, I have listened to enough stories, I have heard enough stories to make me realize this, and I'm giving you this window into our private life so you realize where my conviction comes from. I realize this, that it takes a certain level of maturity, and it takes a certain level of sound judgment for you to handle this capacity. Now, this is a capacity that you and I have. We all have. It's in us. It's part of us. But it takes a level of maturity, and it takes sound judgment for you to properly handle this capacity. So today... Since we have been talking about how bad hate is, I want to switch and talk about the other side of hate. Because there is another side of hate. And to introduce the subject, not to make it sound like this is a conversation about semantics or about usage preference. To, to introduce this idea, I want to ask you a question. Now, you don't have to answer it out loud, okay? You can answer for yourself. Answer in your mind, but ponder upon it a little bit. Think about it a little bit and answer it to yourself. And here's a question I want to ask you this morning. Is hate a moral wrong? Think about that for a minute. Is hate a moral wrong or, or is hate amoral? In other words, can hate work for any good at all? Can hate ever work for good? Can hate ever be positive? I'm not just talking about the outcome. I'm not just talking about the action. I'm talking about the feeling itself, the capacity itself. Because we have talked about these past two weeks how you can have this capacity and not do a thing about it. So hate itself, this capacity that can be so destructive, this capacity that can be so consuming, this capacity that can skewer judgment and cause us to do things that we ourselves disappoint ourselves. Can this capacity be good? Can it work for good? And you might be thinking, J.D., that's like 17 questions. It goes back to the chief question. Is hate a moral wrong? Well, to answer that, we have to start with God. We have to start with God. And we learn through scriptures that God is good. Not only that God does good things, God is good. God is goodness. In fact, Jesus was approached one time by someone described in the New Testament as a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he addressed Jesus by this title. It was almost like a title, but he addressed Jesus by saying, good teacher. Good teacher. And Jesus' reply was this, why do you call me good? It's found in Luke 18, 19. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, he was saying, 
God is good. God is goodness. From everlasting to everlasting, he is good. The Apostle John put it this way. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he said, God is light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. That word darkness right there means wickedness. It can be translated into wickedness. God is light, and in him there's no wickedness. There's no darkness at all. So God is good. God is all good. And if God is all good and hate is all bad or even a little bad, it goes that God cannot hate. That hate cannot exist in God. Yet it does. We learn from Solomon in Proverbs and a few other passages, that God does hate. Ooh. What are you saying, J.D.? <laughs> Should I get up and leave right now? Just stick with me for a little bit. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 says this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And here's the difference that we need to understand. God's hate, which really means opposition, is always just. It's never unjust because God's hate is always against evil. It's always against evil. So you have the evil of this world and you have God's goodness. And God's always fighting against evil. Not because evil, not because they have this fight going on between themselves and evil can touch him. Because he is goodness from everlasting to everlasting. But because it is in the human heart, and that's the big difference between God and us. In the human heart, these two realities collide. The evil of this world can influence us, and God and his goodness can influence as well. And in the human heart, it is our human condition that these two realities collide. God's influence and evil's influence. And in our heart, our capacities, not just hate, but since we're talking about hate, hate specifically can be influenced by both. It can be used by both. Not in God's reality, but in our reality. Because our soul can be influenced by these two realities. And it is in our hearts, in our minds, that these two realities collide. So, this is a, this is a subject, and I know that we're diving in deep waters here, and this is a subject that can get murky. When you dive in deep waters... It can seem like it's gray. So let me just shed a light here again. I'm going to be very specific and, and I'm going to say this multiple times today. All right? Hate is destructive when it causes you to hurt yourself or someone else. Always. Always. So this is black and white. As black and white as black and white can be. You know, hating a, per hating a person or self-hate is always bad. Always destructive but can hate serve a God-given purpose that is the question that we are pondering upon this morning can hate serve a God-given pur purpose and according to Solomon it can according to Solomon and a few other scriptures it can now 
I realize that this is a sensitive subject, and that's why I'm addressing it this morning. This is a sensitive subject because history has proven, and if you, had any, if you read any history, you're probably thinking about it right now. History has proven that many people have used this premise to spread out hate. Many people have used this premise across the world, across history, saying that it was their God-given right to hate. So let me make sure that if you're not familiar with the scriptures, maybe you're here and you're not really a Christian, you're not familiar with the message of Jesus, you're not familiar with the scriptures, let me just make it clear to you that that is never an idea or ideology that is sponsored by the Bible. The Bible never sponsors you hating another person, ever. And it's not part of the message of Jesus. Jesus never sponsored that idea. We will go to Romans chapter 12, verse 18 through 20. It's just one of the passages that proves that point. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. That word wrath there means that in God which opposes evil. That part of God that opposes sin. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, and talking about the enemy here, not even your friend. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Just a sidebar on this here. We were part of a ministry in uh, Houston, Texas, part of a church that got a lot of flack for not talking about the wrath of God too much. Right? And uh, uh, Christians in the South can get very specific about the wrath of God. And not everybody, but there is, there, is a, there is a slice of the pie there that gets really excited about the wrath of God. They really want to show the wrath of God and talk about the wrath of God. So we've had people picket our church and hold signs and come in and protest during the message and, and do things like that. And in my heart, I'm like, you're completely missing the point. Completely missing the point because people were coming to our church, you know, being transformed by Jesus and feeling good about the good news. Go figured. <laughs> feeling good about a good God, right? And, uh, and uh, some critics would say, oh, you don't talk about the wrath of God that much. When in, in reality, what happens is people try to make the wrath of God an arm of their wrath. Really trying to use the wrath of God for their own. So let me just, you know, because that's the stance that we have here. And it's the sense that I held in my heart, Alini and I. You know, what I, what I would think about those critics is this. We're not denying the wrath of God. We're not opposing to the wrath of God. Just yours. Just yours. And if you're not too familiar with scriptures, but you, you know, you ever encounter somebody that tries to talk about the wrath of God like that, you can say that. Listen, I don't oppose the wrath of God. God is just. He's all just. He's all good. The only wrath I oppose is yours, and it's mine, which is the point of this message, or this passage. The point of this passage is that we can let go of our wrath. We can let go of our need for vengeance. We can let go of the impulse to use hate to hurt somebody else. So I cannot stress this enough. We spent two weeks talking about this, and I want to make sure, you know, at the risk of belaboring this, hurt, uh, uh, hate is never about hurting somebody else or yourself, all right? Let's just get that straight. It's never about that. So since we have made that sure, 
let's move on now. How can hate work for good? How can this capacity work for good? How? Because why would God put that in you? Why would he equip you with this capacity to hate? Well, in Scripture, we learn this. In the context of the Scripture, we learn that there are applications for this capacity that can work for good. The first one is this. When you hate what is evil, when you stand in your relationship with God and you get close to God, you will begin to oppose certain things because you will begin to love what God loves. And the number one thing that God loves is his children. And when something comes to hurt his children, he opposes it. Therefore, we will oppose it. There's a passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That word hate right there it has a different application. It's the only time it's, word, it's used in the New Testament. The word hate there is, is a compounded word. It's the Greek word apostigeo. And it's made of two words. Apo and stugitas. Apo means separated. And stugitas means hated or detested. And the, com- the, compo- the, the effect of the compounded word, what it means there in that passage is that the thing you detest horrifies you so much that you actively oppose and separate yourself from it. The thing you detest horrifies you so much that you are actively taking uh, uh, measures to oppose yourself, separate yourself from it. And that's when this capacity to oppose what is evil works for good. And I'll give you a personal example, a few personal examples of mine, things that I hate. I hate drugs. I hate it because I have two family members that I grew up with that were loving and kind, but their lives were claimed by it. One was my cousin who died at the young age of 28 years old, and we still don't know who killed him, but he was assassinated. And we think it was by a drug lord in the southern parts of uh, the homeland of Brazil. And uh, the other person is my uncle who died of drug-related illnesses when he was 53 years old. But it's not only that they died because of it, it's that their lives were a mess because of it. It, it destroyed their lives. It affected everybody. It affected me, and I'm one of like 20-something cousins. Affected everybody, their lives. It, they couldn't... Uh, they couldn't hold a marriage together. They were married. Both of them were married like three times, had kids with multiple women, and, and their lives couldn't hold a job. And they were smart and kind individuals that couldn't really come out of it. So I hate drugs. In the same wavelength, I hate alcohol, alcoholism. Because my grandfather, I shared this before, my grandfather and I have never had a, my paternal grandfather had a, a, a decent relationship because he was always drunk. And I've seen what alcoholism can do to families and can do to people and how it can affect people. And I hate it, I do. I hate pornography. I hate because I have seen what it does to couples, to people, to men. And I hate the fact that young children, 11 years old now is the average age that they get exposed to it. And that is what frames sexuality for them. I hate that. I think that that's not the way that God wants it. And it's, I hate that it objectifies women. 
and that turns women into an object of pleasure instead of actually a full actualized person. Now you're thinking of what you can get from that person because of this twisted way that's taking something that's so pure, it's so beautiful, and twisting it. I hate human trafficking. The fact that there is an industry that seizes people and sells them for slave labor, most of the time, sex slavery, is appalling. It's even more appalling the fact that there's an industry for it. People that actually pay for that. There's a demand for that. I hate it. So there are things that you will come to hate when you learn to love people like God loves people. And I think the question here for this first point, because this is my first point on the two things that hate can work for good. And the second point is a compounded point with Two elements to it. But in the first point, I think that the, the challenge sometimes that we have is, so how do you coincide the thing that, the evil that is affecting and, 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 and changing people to the person itself? Like, in other words, like JD, how do you, how did you deal with your cousin, you know, himself? Like, he was the guy that was victimized by this drug abuse. How do you deal with that? Or alcoholism. Like, do you still love your, your grandpa? Do you have resentment in his heart? And I think that that's where the scripture really guides our hearts to make sure we separate and differentiate what is evil from what is the person. Because as soon as you get close to God and you understand that every person has, has a plan under God's plan, right? Like God has a plan for mankind and he has a plan for the individual. You understand that the life, the kind of life they're living is not aligned with the purpose that God has for their lives. So, you know, you've heard it said it this way, hate the sin, love the sinner, right? There's a, a, a saying that's been out there. And I understand the premise of the saying. I actually agree with the base of the saying, but I don't really like that saying. Because I've seen it being misused too many times. You know, it's more like, I hate everything about you. And I hate everything that you do. But in Christ, I love you. <laughs> you know. And to me, it's a bit self-defeating. Because it puts sin at the center of the situation. I think I prefer to said this way. Because I love people, I hate what hurts them and what harms them. Because I love people... I hate sin. Because I love you, I, I hate anything that can harm you and seize your life from God's purpose for you. Because I love you, I pray for you. Because I love you, I go to God and I ask for his blessings for you. And because you love people, what you do is you come between evil and that person and you stand in the gap and you pray for them and you intercede for them and you do everything in your power to see them live in the full potential that God has called them to live. Because we love people, we ask for God to receive, reveal himself to them and for them to overcome whatever it is that they're overcoming. They're meant to overcome. You know, here's what we need to understand. You are not your sin. I am not my sin. We are not the thing that might be entrenched in us. And that's how this, this capacity to oppose what is evil can work for good. Because at the same time that you cling to what is good, you will oppose to anything that can come and hurt what is good. And that applies to people as well. So in love, you can love people through their, their difficulties. You can love people out of their situation. Amen? Second thing, and this is the compounded uh, um, second element of how this capacity 
uh, can work for good. Uh, Jesus used this word hate in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that for our minds in, our, in 2017 can be a bit difficult for us to comprehend and get our minds around it. So let me get to that passage. I mentioned this passage two weeks ago. Let me get to this passage and, and then we'll, we'll unpack it and, and go through it and uh, we'll see what Jesus meant when he said here. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 28, and then I'm going to end with verse 33. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Verse 33, So therefore, any of you who, do not, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is a different application than to oppose for the word hate in this passage. In fact, Jesus' audience would have understood this very well because in their Eastern culture, in their Eastern mindset, the word hate was used as a comparative word for love. So you, you actually heard, there's another passage where Jesus, maybe you've heard this, another passage where Jesus talks about serving two masters, that you can't serve two masters because you will love one and hate the other. What actually he meant is that when you have two things that you love, when you have two things that you hold dear, that's why Jesus mentioned enemies here. He mentioned those that are closest to you and even yourself. When you have two things that you hold dear and you love and you want to engage in, you have to pick one. And you have to pick one. The, the expression that they used in those days is that you have to love this one and hate this one. It doesn't mean that you have to oppose and actually go after your brother and sister and tell your mom that you don't like them. That's not what Jesus meant. Okay? What Jesus meant is you will have to choose. And at times you will have to live for this life and choose this life instead of all the other influences. Influences. And the key here in this passage is counting the cost and carrying the cross. He says you have to bear your cross and you have to count the cost. You know, what, what Jesus is inferring here, what he's saying is that, you know, the life that he has for you needs to be freed from anything that can hold you back. In other words... You know, if you, if you want to live the greatest life that he has for you, you cannot be okay with good enough. You can't be okay with just barely getting by. In fact, if, if you just want good enough, then Jesus is not your source. That's what he's saying. Because if you are going to live this life, there is a cost. There's a cost. And you got to count the cost. Now, the relationship between counting the cost... And bearing the cross here is you count the cost. In other words, you see what it takes, what it'll take. You, 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 you have to give up a certain things. You have to give up certain things. You have to, you know, uh, uh, count the cost. And bearing the cross means you have to make some investments. You have to do what you need to do. You have to engage life fully and apply yourselves. So counting the cost might be that you know, some certain relationships that you have who are, not, who are not adding to your life and promoting the kind of life that you want to live might not 
you know, gain as much time or as much influence. You know, it means that, that you have a kind of life that, that you found in God and you want all of it. You're not willing to compromise. You want all of it and you go for it. You count the cost and then you bear the cross, which means that whatever God puts in your heart to do, you do it to the best of your ability. You know, you take that class. You, you apply yourself. You save the money. You make the investment. You live your life in such a way that you give your best. And while other people are partying, you're studying. Your head is in the books. You know, there's a, there's a gentleman that, that uh, comes to our church. He has been coming for over a year now. And whenever he works uh, permits, he's here. And I met him in the mall the other day. We just kind of ran into each other. And he was telling me, you know, I haven't been to church because I got this new job. And I work most Sundays. And, you know, I've been working hard. And my, the purpose for me to be in this country, he's, been, he's from Colombia. He's been here for a year and a half. And the purpose for me to be in this country is for my studies. And I had to leave my son. I had to leave my family back in Colombia. And all the money that I earn goes to two things, J.D. It goes to my school and it goes to my kid. It goes to those two uh, uh, things. So I'm living with a roommate who has been here less time than me. And he's got a car. He's got nice clothes. He's got all these electronics. He has the latest iPhone. And he's asking me, where's your money? What are you doing? And he was telling me this. He was opening his heart up to me and he was saying I don't know if you know maybe I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or maybe I said no 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 listen the investments that you're making are going to show up not just now you're gonna, they're going to show up in 10 years because what God is calling you what God is calling you into right now is a season of sacrifice you are burying your cross you know, you're living far away from your young child. You're here going, studying, sacrificing, going to work in a place where people don't like you to earn your money so you can live through this season. You know what? You're bearing your cross and keep doing that. Keep, keep doing that well. And you might be wondering, so how, what does this capacity to oppose, to hate, where does it fit in in this context? It fits in in, the, in, this, in this following way. That once you get a glimpse for the kind of life that God has for you, you should be horrified at the thought that you would live your life meaninglessly. And this is, you know, for you and I here. Once you get a glimpse of what the kind of life that you can live in God, you should be so actively involved in, in, in giving your all to make sure that His promises, that His call in your life happens that it should, it should just, something should light up in you at the thought that you would not live to the fullest of your potential and your ability. And I got to tell you, God has amazing things for your life here this morning. And for you to embrace this life, it might take you opposing to certain things. You know, the, the possibility of living a meaningless life, the possibility of wasting your, your life on somebody else's agenda that doesn't work for good should stir something on the inside of you and going like, no, I'm not going to live my life that way. I'm going to oppose to that. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's not just the blaring sin and evil. It's choices that you make day in and day out to make sure that in the end you fulfilled your call and we are all called to that and for us to do that it'll take 
love being sincere, it'll take hating what is evil as we cling to what is good. Because there is a close relationship there. When you cling to what is good, when you embrace what is good, when you embrace the call of God for your life, you're going to oppose a few things, especially the things that attack it. And when you embrace his love for people, you're going to oppose a few things. This is what you will realize. You know, the more you live, you'll realize this. That the things you oppose are closely connected to your purpose. And if you haven't found your purpose yet, I'll close with this thought, okay? If you haven't found your purpose yet, pay attention to the things you oppose as you get close to God. When you, when you grow close to God and you begin to oppose certain things, it's very possible that the good that God wants to do through you is connected to the evil that you oppose. It's very, very prob probable that that will be the case. And when you do that, when you see people who are suffering injustice, when you see people enslaved by poverty, when you see people who are living a kind of life that is beneath their calling, you're going to look at it and say, I hate this. I don't want this for their lives. Because in your heart of hearts, you will understand first that God is good. And that when, God is, when you realize that God is good, you will cling to it and live for good. Do you receive it this morning?